They also did some fun things like doing uh, expedition or ex- exposition game. Not exposition. Brain. Go bye bye. Narrative? No, not narrative games. Uh, th- that would be an exposition game. Would be a narrative game. E- uh, exhibition. Exhibition is the word I'm wanting. Ex- oh. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that wishes you all a happy holidays. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, this is probably, I th- we I don't know if we're going to get a chance to record a year-end episode. If we do, it'll be like the weekend after New Year's. But anyway, this is our last episode before Christmas, so Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. I uh, hope you're having a, a good festive winter season. And uh, we are going to be, this is going to be a relatively short article. This is going to be a relatively short episode because, you know, holiday scheduling and such, we're trying to fit this in. But we did want to have an episode where we talked about news and new releases and kind of do a holiday mailbag. We have a few letters to talk about, including a couple of criticisms of stuff we talked about last time. And we're always welcome to field criticism and and, and respond in kind nicely. And... <laughs> So uh, we figured we'd focus this episode on things that you have written to us. So that's what we're going to do this time. Uh, But as always, first news and new releases. And uh, so uh, news, uh, there are no new releases other than Shadow Throne is officially available now, which is the uh, Custodes and Gene Steeler Cult box. Which we have, we received a preview copy of, courtesy of Games Workshop. We'll talk a little bit more in, about it in depth. Um, but one thing I will say, looking at it, is they didn't include the codex specific rules. Like there are mentions of the rules in the data sheets, but the, I didn't find the rules in the Shadow Throne box. So without having the codexes, which were supposed to be out the same week, but aren't because of international shipping issues and such. Uh, it's really hard to discuss that box and how, and how these armies play. I do say, I will say the narrative's interesting. And so I definitely want to cover that, but it won't be this episode. So we'll see when those books come out. They have released some information about those codexes. Like uh, we, they started revealing the uh, information about like, the shadow host or that the shield host rules for um, custodes and the uh, stances that they take. Um, we know that sisters of silence are getting a, a HQ choice so that uh, you can actually have a sisters of silence detachment if you want, which is something I know Dennis, you had just last episode, you had picked up a forge world character in hopes that they'd be in the codex. So now you can definitely use them. Yeah, and well, also they broke the three types of Sister Sassanas apart, so one's a troop, one's elite, one's fast, so you can really fill a whole army. I don't think they'd be yeah. good if you filled a whole army that way, but you <laughs> can. Yeah, yeah, so it's, 
there but you can use them to fill in any slots you want in a talons of the emperor army so that's that is nice that you're not limited to using them purely as troops considering maybe you want to use you know custodian guard as troops or um but yeah they've covered some of the stances which basically like at but it's it reminds me a little bit it's like a cross between the Necron. I have to plan out my grand strategy through the entire game, and uh, the uh, combat stances for uh, Space Marines, like the different like Devastator, the doctrines, like you know where you switch doctrines each turn. It's kind of between those because you have to pick your stances before the game, but then you choose like each turn, like you can choose when you want to shift into the next stance and each stance has two benefits that you can pick one of, but there are ways to get both of them. But we've only seen like two or three of the stances and they, I think they've shown three of the stances and we know there's going to be more. So again, it's hard to get a full picture of what that's going to look like until we get the codex. Let's see. Gene Steeler cults. They're getting crossfire rules, which Basically, like, if a unit pops up out of, uh, you know, out of hiding and ambushes, you can do, like, shooting ambushes and get, uh, like, you basically mark enemy units. If they are pinned between two Gene Steeler Cult units, they get a crossfire token, which then, depending on what you do, can give benefits and makes them count as being exposed which, uh, if they're exposed, you add one to your wound rolls against them. So Gene Steer Cult's shooting will have has the potential to be more damaging. Uh, we'll have to see how this all ends up playing out. But uh, again, it just a fraction of the rule. You know, we're just getting like hints and pieces of of the rules for each of these uh, codexes. For Tau, we actually got what the new uh, how they're going to do Montka and Kalyan which are going to be tactical philosophies that uh you choose one at the start of the battle after you determine whether you're going first or second and then um so like Montka you get your benefits the first 3 battle rounds which includes being able to shoot normally even if you moved or advanced and as you get closer to the enemy um, your you get to reroll wound rolls of one, and your AP increases by one. So it definitely encourages you to get right up in your enemy's face and play aggressively, which is totally Monka. And Kalyan does uh, th- it only affects rounds three through five, so you have to kind of get the enemy closer to you. But then you can always in rounds three through five, you can fall back and shoot at a minus one penalty rather than not being able to fall back and shoot at all. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see how those work and what else keys off of them. But, but uh, again, we're starting to get hints of what's coming in these codexes. Also, uh, we're getting a new plastic uh, Dark Strider model, uh, which has had, interestingly enough, some mixed responses because people don't like the tiny drones he has with him. That's like the I main complaint I'm seeing. They are cute adorable. as hell. <laughs> Yeah. They're fantastic. So I I, I dig them, but uh, I also like Dark Strider as a character. And so yeah. it'll be interesting to see uh, what else in the Codex has gotten this kind of update. 
So that you know, we've been getting getting hints of what's coming in January. Um, so looking forward to that. They've also been doing the the Advent engine um, for the rumor like every day. Um, so like all month, I think they're on like. Well, this is today is the 18th, so this is the 18th one that they've done, and it looks like they're previewing a Eldar versus Chaos like battle box because we're getting what looks like either like um, uh, warp spiders or maybe fire dragons. Um, and then definitely some chaos, like horns and claws and, you know, and stuff in there as well. So I I'm excited for that. And I think that we're going to get the final reveal on Christmas. So that'll, right. that'll be cool to see. And also like they did their, their Christmas video with James workshop, <laughs> and if you pay attention to that video, one of the last things he says in the video, like before the actual ending, like at one point he's like, and now revealing our brand new all plastic aspect warrior. And then they cut away. They don't actually show it. <laughs> so, so they're definitely, yeah, that fits right in yeah. with what they're teasing. But yeah, I'm seeing there, there's a piece here that is definitely a new uh, Eldar jet bike. Like yeah, there's a foot sure. on it, a foot on it on the pedal of a Eldar jet bike. So does that mean we're getting? I don't know if we'd be getting new bikes because we just got them, but we might be getting new uh, plastic shining spears for one. Yeah, shining spears would be the only one that hasn't gotten an update. So from what from what I've heard on the rumor mill, and granted this is all rumor, so you know whatever. Um, there's rumor that they're going to be getting like a new scout bike unit. Oh, that would be nice. Looking at the will boot, be looking at the boot, yeah. it looks like a leather boot rather than an aspect armor boot. Yeah, so that that would definitely track with that. And right. that would be nice if they could have jet bikes back into the troop slot. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd say it looks like we're probably going to get plastic striking scorpions too, because there's an, one of them features an Eldari chainsword, mm-hmm. and I believe they're the only ones that use those. Uh, for the yeah. most part, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm definitely, definitely getting those. Also looks like maybe a plastic, plastic dark reapers as well. Cause there's somebody using like an underslung heavy cannon of some sort. That is definitely Eldari in nature. Why not add fire dragons and the warp spiders and have them all? It makes sense. If they're going to do it, you should do them all because they're all, I mean, how, those models are what, thir- 25, 30 years old at this point? Oh, like, easily. And most of them are still metal slash fine cast. Yeah. They they need to... I I know we're not really doing like the year-end like wish list stuff yet, but like honestly, like that's my biggest thing for 2020 is like... I that was your biggest them, thing like, for... That was your biggest thing <laughs> for like 2019 and 2020. I know. So 2021, I know. I know. yeah. Maybe they'll and eventually he, get around to it. And, and, and he like, doesn't you know, even play Eldar yet. I just want to see cool models for them because they're 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 a cool army, and I don't want to see them like continuing to have to drop thirty year old models on the table. <laughs> agreed, absolutely agreed. So, um, yeah, El- the Eldari Craft World Eldari have been in in need of a a plastic line revamp for a long time, and yes, yeah, they're 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 due, and it looks like yeah, they're gonna actually be getting that soon. 
And we know they said 2022 is also going to be a big year for Chaos, so it makes sense that we'd get a Chaos Space Marine revamp. Um, speaking of Chaos Space Marines, a couple of things. Uh, they re- Just in the last couple of days, they dropped... Uh, in fact, yeah, Friday, they dropped uh, that we're getting uh, plastic joy toy uh, Chaos Space Marines and Chaos Space Marine Terminators. Yeah. Which look badass. Also, we're getting Space Wolf Intercessors and a Space Wolf uh, Invictor Warsuit, which does look awesome. We don't know when those are coming out. Uh, but the Joy Toy stuff, I've seen some of I, so I was actually looking around on uh, Amazon, and I saw some of Joy Toy's other stuff. And they are definitely the right company to be doing this. They do some awesome, like, mech pilots and mech, uh, like, art, these four-inch articulated figures like this. So... I, yeah, I've picked up a couple of the uh, McFarlane ones, like the 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 Sister of Battle, the uh, the Primaris Marine with the with the the Hell Blaster, and then I think what's the other one? Oh, the uh, Necron Flayed one. And uh, I've really been impressed by like the quality of those, and they're like you know like twenty bucks, you know, to to pick up each one of them. Um, they're they're cool, articulated, like they they you can pose them really neat, like. I'm I really I'm really digging the stuff that they're doing outside of like the actual main model line now. Um I think it's just cool to have more of these toys and stuff like that. Well and they've picked the right companies to to partner with mm-hmm. to do this stuff cuz like I said Joy Toy this kind of detailed like GI Joe scale action figure is what they specialize yeah. in. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to bring up for Chaos Space Marines is how much the changes to the that like the the balance data slate did not help them because oh, <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> they released the the meta watch that included all the games played at the uh austin u.s open and uh they included the win rate now good news orcs and mechanicus have been toned down successfully uh mechanicus was barely rocking a 50 percent win rate just a point or so higher than orcs. So they've been by, by kind of changing up that they can't like orcs can't spam buggies. Mechanicus can't spam flyers. And a lot of their point costs went up. They've been brought to the middle of the pack, at least at that event. And so that's, that's good. They're right around the same, same area as death guard, uh, Sororitas, uh, space wolves, which are also considered one of like the better uh, space marine factions right now. Uh, Imperial knights jumped at least at Austin have jumped up quite a bit. You know, we said that they would probably end up being like a gatekeeper army, and they are. They've definitely done better than that. They're they're actually a, a solid army to deal with. Chaos knights, not so much. But I think that's uh, some people have pointed out that's probably because um, Imperium has better soup options. So for mixing in with yes. your Imperial Knights. Surprisingly, tier- surprisingly Tyranids without having the, the data slate really directly affect them have improved. Yeah. So Tyranids, it's all um, th- a lot of it is the Leviathan changes that are in the Octarius campaign books. Right. have really given them a boost and then uh a lot of it is more rather than just tyranids it's hive mind because they're using like yeah. the cult of the four-armed emperor mixed in with like 
a detachment of that to mess with uh, deployment as as a way to uh, give them a bit of an edge. And it's worked very well, very, very well. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how much of the new Gene Stealer Cult Codex either plays into that. Like, it, does this make that better or does that change how these pieces work to disrupt that somehow? It, it, we're we're kind of in un, uncharted territory with that. So uh, in the next month, expect that to change up a bit. Um, Chaos Demons actually doing not badly. And uh, from what I've gathered, that's been a little bit more focused on Slanesh, but maybe not entirely. Uh, I've seen some interesting lists that are like Slanesh slash Thousand Suns, like Slanesh Demons and Thousand Suns. So, interesting. Yeah, some, some interesting mixes there. Thousand Suns themselves not doing so well. Uh, Grey Knights are solidly in the middle of the pack with Orcs. Uh, uh, Sororitas is is right there. Necrons got all those new core options. Bottom of the pack. Abs- they did worse yeah. than Tau. <laughs> at least at that event. Uh, Chaos Space Marines. Turns out, yeah, better death to the False Emperor was not what they wanted. It, not what they needed. Huh. Um, it, I, you would almost yeah. think maybe who, two wound Space Marines is what they who, wouldn't want. It, yeah. Who would who would have who would have guessed that? Like who 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 would have called that? I mean. <laughs> Everyone, every Chaos Space Marine player. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's the the win rate for Drukari, which without orcs and Mechanicus to to reel them back in, they broke like a sixty percent win rate. They it got worse. Uh, and it turns out that if you tell people stop taking all the raider at, like all the cabal and witch cult shenanigans and we're going to make all the the homunculus covens cheaper because nobody's really leaning into that except for the people that were like Matt Root who is playing Cronuses like crazy um <laughs> turns out that if you if you make that stuff like make the other stuff more expensive and then make the homunculus coven stuff cheaper but don't change its quality at all Turns out Drukari have a lot of really good cheap tools now. Also, it's the one sub-faction of that army that is more resilient than tissue paper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you took away the one thing that makes Drukari weak. Yeah, like their one weakness is that they're made of tissue paper, but they're, they were cheap so they could trade units more reliably. And now you've made, oh, it's like we just made them cheaper and tougher. Yeah, that was a bad call. And because those were actually preview costs, those are the costs from the upcoming uh like tournament packet. Like those are the that's the chapter approved prices, like point wise. Mm-hmm. We're in at least until the next balanced data slate comes out, it's Drukari it's Drukari winter and spring. That it's the Drukari's world, we're just living in it. Well, Unless they put out another update, because they said they're going to do it more frequently now, they're going to have to. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're going to have to errata the the chapter approved to fix Drukari because they're and it's not just at the U.S. Austin. Like looking at Goonhammer, good stuff. Like good stuff. Homunculus Coven's Drukari is running roughshod. It is the best army right now. Because it took all the stuff that was already kind of good, because they already had to tone down like uh, the the build your own coven's abilities, like Darkneck Technomancers. They had to 
reel those weapons in a little bit by like saying they didn't apply to their uh like the flamer style like liquefiers uh and there's it so they were already solid making them cheaper was a like it was what they did what they wanted to which was to encourage people to play that they just didn't also realize that those were all still better than most what most armies can bring oops also you don't give up anything because uh Talon or like the Talos is still a great gun platform, so you can still mount anti tank weapons on it and deal with everything. So, it, yeah, it's 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 a, a way overpowered book. Making anything in that book cheaper turned out to be a huge mistake. So, yeah, and it like you look at the chart they themselves posted, it, it's not even close. Like the next highest win rates in the fifties. It's bad. <laughs> Yeah. It's real bad. <laughs> Tur- turns out that whole book is overpowered. Yeah. <sighs> also, uh, the final standings for the the finals at the Grapevine Warhammer Citadel. Manny Chima with Drukari was the best general for 40k. Who'd have thought? <laughs> and I will put the plug out there. Warhammer put those on Twitch. And the coverage was actually really good that weekend of all the games. And the, they got to preview the new rules that are coming up, and they even like put them on the website for people to download. So if you get the chance and haven't done it yet, definitely go look at the changes that they're looking to make next year. Yeah, the like some of the the secondaries have been tweaked somewhat. And what's interesting about the new missions is the missions don't have a ex like a secondary that you take just for the mission. Instead, they've worked like the primary has two components that you have to play towards. So it. You're still going to be leaning more on your faction or generic uh, secondaries, and they they're going to like kind of tune and balance those. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it's going to change. And then they also did exhibition games of what if 40k and Age of Sigmar armies playing against each other, and kind of made a a rule set that was a fusion of the two, and it, it included a knights versus giants battle. <laughs> <laughs> They did exhibition games uh, featuring, like, making non-competitive lists. But, uh, but and also, I, I got to give give credit to uh, Brad Chester um, for the exhibition games. They were going in with, they had three Drukari players going into this for the best general competition. And Brad Chester's like, I don't want to just be another Drukari player. So can I switch to Eldar, like Craft World Eldari? And so they made him an, a, a Craft World Eldari army to play. And like, from what I understand, looking at the Goonhammer coverage, because they actually had one of the Goonhammer guys was actually playing in the finals, uh, in, in this final event. Basically, they went out of their way, like they would provide their list. I think you mentioned this in our last episode, Dennis, that they were providing the list of what they owned and that Games Workshop was going to make lists for them. And so they tried yeah. to make non-competitive Drukari lists, and it, it's really hard, turns out. Um, <laughs> when you have the best codex, it's hard to make a bad one. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, what, what can you do? Uh, so, yeah, but no, congratulations to Manny Chima uh, for for wi- basically winning the roadshow with Drukari. 
Although let's let's also be honest, had he been able to attend, uh, Richard Siegler probably would have won that event too, since he won all three U.S. <laughs> right. Open. So I think that pretty much covers all the news and new releases. Oh, one other thing, there was uh, one other thing. The, the whole uh, they had the game award, like the video game awards ceremony recently, celebrating all the. Oh yes, yeah. So they yeah, they, just, they dropped just a little one, thing. Just a little thing. Just a little uh, thing. Just, just, just a, a thing. thing we've been waiting for for a decade. Space Marine 2. Featuring yes. Titus. Although not Captain Titus, he's wearing a Space Marine lieutenant helmet. So, And he's crossed the Rubicon Primaris. So another Primaris lieutenant has been released. Um, <laughs> Checks out. Yeah. But it's definitely Titus. He's got, like, he's got four service studs in his skull now. So it's definitely time has passed. And uh, I guess he got busted down to lieutenant after that whole the shenanigans in the last game. But uh, it checks out, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's uh, instead of being against orcs, it's against tyranids this time. And oh, the the trailer is awesome, and the game yeah. footage looks fantastic. Uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm I, I'm stoked for it. I am super stoked for this one. It it. It just looks like it's going to be like I loved playing through the first one. And it's a shame that it's a game that has kind of been left to sit idle. Like, you know, some of the fun of that was playing the online component. And it's like the player base has shrunk to the point where it's hard to find players for the online component. But even the single player was a lot of fun on that. And so I'm curious to see how this is going to be. you know, refined and and moved into a new generation of gaming. And the footage they show, if you thought you were fighting a lot of orcs the first time, my God, the swarms of nids that you fight (laughs) that they showed was just amazing. So, yeah, Yeah, looking forward to to that. I had to work early the next morning, and, like, I still, like, stayed up late because I was interested to see what, what new games got announced at the Games Award, and and I was honestly like shocked and surprised that it just showed up. <laughs> yeah, that that literally like there were no hints or pre like that just came out of nowhere, and everyone's like, "Oh, okay, that's awesome. Thank you. We're glad to see that again." So, so that we're we were we are definitely excited for that. So, let's move on to your listener mail. As always, all these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. So, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we start off with a couple of criticisms, uh, specifically of things we talked about in our last episode. And, uh, Kevin, what was your reaction when you <laughs> since you missed the last episode? What was the reaction you had when uh, I... you saw the first what the hell did you guys do? Like, that's that was my question. I was like, I, I'm gone for one episode, and you guys piss half the half the audience off. What the hell? Um, I'm sure I, we've done more than that. But. Here's here's the thing. It actually makes me wish that I subscribed to the podcast to listen to episodes I'm not recording. Um, <laughs> like this sounds like whatever you guys said was interesting. I should probably go listen to that. I'm not going to, but I probably should. 
All right. So, so first <laughs> off, uh, our let's say so. So, a little bit of background. Last episode, uh, Rory Harbinson had written in to ask. Uh, he has friends who plays Age of Sigmar, and he and he, but he's more of a 40k player, and so he was asking, are there, um, like he understands you can play demons in both. So, which ones would we recommend? What seems like a reasonable plan you could use in both? And we had suggested Slanesh. And Nurgle, with the idea that Slanesh Heed Knights, last I'd heard, were pretty good in Age of Sigmar, and uh, Magikin and Nurgle were getting a brand new battle tome like this week in uh, Age of Sigmar, so recommended those two. Also said, you know, they're passable in, in 40k. And so we got a response from Charles Fox. Charles writes, you gave bad advice to the listener. Please, since you don't play for, play Sigmar, get someone that does if offering advice for Age of Sigmar. Since 3.0 dropped, Slanesh is horribly overpriced and not competitive. Bellicor, Legion of the First Prince, and Sigmar is a mixed demon army that is currently top of the meta. Zinch or Nurgle would be best for Monogod because Zinch is very powerful in all demon builds, and Nurgle may be okay. We're just now breaking into the new book. So, uh, first off, that is absolutely fair. We don't play Age of Sigmar, and so asking us for Age of Sigmar advice is probably a you're going to get weird, questionable advice anyway. I mean, I've played uh, zero I mean, games. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give weird, questionable advice about 40k. So, like, you know, it's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Also, don't don't ask us about Astra Militarum. We we don't give good advice there either. Yeah. No. We, we've been told we give bad advice for Guard. We, we're like, yeah, we don't play Guard. We also don't play Age of Sigmar. I have Age of Sigmar books I need to play, but I haven't had, haven't had a yeah. good opportunity to because of, you know, last couple of years. Um, but uh, so I did, did a little bit of checking, and he, Charles is absolutely right. Uh, Slanesh, he knights with Slanesh players are not terribly happy with how 3.0. Now, even though they're, they got a codex or a battle tome update like either late last year or early this year, like they've, they had two battle tomes released relatively close to each other. Um, you would think it was designed with three Oh in mind, but one of the things that happened is when three Oh came out, they also came out with the general's handbook, which is their, the age of Sigmar equivalent of chapter approved and the grand tournament packet. And that had all the points values. And yes, uh, from what I can determine, uh, Slanesh did get major price bumps as far as points, which threw off their comp- uh, their competitiveness. Um, now, I would say Bellicor, Legion of the First Prince, and Age of Sigmar, all demons, is apparently good there. I don't know how if that would be as good an army in 40k. Um, and also, I... I will specify if I was going to recommend somebody a competitive army in 40k, Chaos Demons wouldn't have been my first choice anyway, because uh, they're an eighth edition codex. Uh, they haven't really gotten much in the way of um, like they don't have secondary objectives there. Now they are a ma- assault focused army generally, uh, so they're pretty you know they're not bad in this edition obviously uh their austin numbers don't you know their win rates in austin aren't bad um and i've seen some lists that are like slanesh like i said slanesh and like with a thousand suns detachment alongside uh slanesh demons if played well can be very good in uh in 40k so that's kind of where i was going with that i do agree with them with nurgle is a good one to go with because they did just get a brand new 
third edition Age of Sigmar book. So that's one you could definitely look at. And a resilient army can do some interesting things in 40k. Uh, so again, fair criticism. We don't play Age of Sigmar. So giving Age of Sigmar advice is not always a great fit for us. But at the same time, it's like we're, you know, there, there was a reason for the advice we gave, What, how accurate it may have been. Um, again, we are not an Age of Sigmar podcast, so if you want Age of Sigmar advice, definitely go seek that out. Uh, we will make shit up as we go along, as we always have, and uh, just kind of carry on. Now, our next our next set of questions, our next uh, letter. This one's interesting, and, and this actually ties back into something we had kind of wanted when we uh, um, when we addressed this, because this was in response to a letter from Bill Malone, who, he is originally from Ireland, he lives in New Zealand, and he wrote us, to a, wrote us a letter about why is stuff in New Zealand so expensive? Why are the markups so high? Why, are, why do Australia and New Zealand, Japan pay such, such high prices for 40K stuff compared to um, the U.S., compared to countries in the Eurozone because based on exchange rates and things like that? Why is the markup so much higher? And so we basically answered uh, as best we could because, Kevin, we wanted you on the show to help us with this because you're the accountant. Uh, sorry, bro, my connection breaking up. Uh, no, um, yeah, you told me they're like, oh, yeah, we want your input on this. And I'm like, I don't want to touch this. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> But like some of the things because the answer. Was, yeah. Was well, say, the, some the, of the, the things, answer is it's. No, you go ahead. Sorry, go on. <laughs> No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, the the answer the answer is it's incredibly complicated because like it isn't just this isn't just a forty k thing, and like I don't particularly want to defend GW's high prices, but you know at the same time I do also think it's important to like support the company that makes something that you like. Um, but this is like a macroeconomic discussion about you know supply chains which are strained globally right now anyway, and. You know, the the economics of world shipping and all of these things that kind of factor in there, plus exchange rates, plus, you know, it, it's, it is incredibly complicated. Um, and I even even someone like me who's, you know, works in this industry, I, I can't give you like a succinct, succinct, like two word answer, you know, two sentence answer of like, oh, it's this, this and this. It's infinitely more complicated than any of us realize. Um, yeah, which sucks. <laughs> So well, one of the things we did mention is like the fact that the like even just looking at the minimum wage in Australia is much higher than it is in the United States, even based on the uh, exchange rate. And so there's, you know, the, basically saying like the economic factors, you can't just go by straight exchange rate. Yeah. There's there's way more involved yeah. in that. So that that's the context for this letter. So Andrew Trobit, yeah, Andrew Trowbridge uh, wrote to us and Gave us some interesting, gave us an example of his personal experience, and this led me down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to take you all on this journey with me. So, Andrew writes, 
Okay, so how is it then that I can buy new Warhammer models from Poland off of an eBay store, pay for shipping to Australia and eBay fees, and it's cheaper than going down the road to GW? The minimum wage argument is weird. If that's how it's done, they should charge doctors more for models than fast food working university students. And that includes a 10% increase in price that eBay has to pay to international sales. The Australian government introduced this to encourage Australians to buy from domestic retailers instead of international. Well, the minimum he misunderstands, you know, Andrew, you misunderstand what we meant by minimum wage. We didn't say if you make minimum wage, you should pay this much versus if you're a doctor, you know, someone with a high paying career, you should pay this much. It was more to demonstrate, and I may not have communicated it well, that the economics between Australia and the United States are very different. And so you can't just do a straight one to one comparison. That said... Andrew gave me a couple of pieces of information that it gave me new insight. First off, he mentions buying new models from uh, Poland off of an eBay store and then paying for shipping for Australia. And he actually showed the price difference. The Australian. So his example, a Primaris Chaplin on a bike, $77 Australian. The Pol- the eBay store selling in U.S. prices, $38.61 Plus eleven dollars U.S. shipping, uh, approximately fifty-four dollars five cents Australian plus fifteen dollars forty cents Australian for postage, which comes to uh, sixty-nine dollars and forty-five cents. So a good seven dollars or more, you know, seven dollars or so cheaper than buying the Premier's Chaplin on bike. Okay, and then also mentioning the ten percent increase that you know, is added to this eBay purchase because it was purchased from outside Australia. And they, they do that. They, it, it's the goods and services tax, the GST tax uh, that they apply to, um, to, to out of country purchases. So I decided to do some checking and I put together, first off, I put together a spreadsheet and I did some research. So let's look at we're we're going to start with that premier spike chaplain. So the UK price is 28 pounds, just a flat 28 pound sterling. For the US, that same product costs $45. That's a if but if we did a straight conversion from uh as of recording this morning on uh December 19th, uh, the exchange rate is uh a 1 1 pound thir- or a dollar, yeah, 1 pound 32 or each pound is a is a dollar thirty two. There, that's what yeah, that's what I said. Each pound is yeah. a, do, a do, one one dollar thirty two cents, which leads to a converted price of thirty six dollars and ninety six cents. But we pay forty five dollars in the web store. That's a difference of eight dollars and four cents, a twenty one point seventy five percent markup. Now, in the original letter, uh. He, you know, he was like a standard box of intercessors. Uh, that well, he had a price of forty nine dollars, which is not correct. It's actually sixty, but but you know that's a but the the, the upshot is it's about a twenty one twenty two percent markup. Okay, fine. Um, and he said so he you know, uh, Bill had felt that that was that was reasonable given the fact that it's manufactured in the UK and then shipped to the US. The Australian price for the Premier Spike Captain is $77, as Andrew 
uh, linked in his, gave us a, a price in his letter. That's, but converted, if we just do a straight conversion price, that's $52.08 Australian or a $24.92 Australian markup, 47.85% markup. Now that's, that's, that seems, wow, really high. The markups is like half again as much. However, there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. First off, nobody in the U.S. buying from Games Workshop is actually paying $45. Because there's something that this doesn't take into account, and that's sales tax. If I buy this, and there's because there's Games Workshop stores in almost every state at this point, and Games Workshop has local has a de- uh, distribution center and warehouse in Memphis, um, most likely you're going to pay sales tax. So for me, if I put this in my cart, the U.S. Premier's Bike Chaplain is actually like forty eight bucks, which, like if I do that, that's a markup of nearly thirty percent. Because there's taxes involved that aren't reflected in this price. However, the Australian prices, uh, Andrew had mentioned there's that GST tax that eBay is, that applies to eBay. Well, that, the addition for applying to eBay purchases is relatively recent, but the GST tax has been in place for a while. And in fact, on Games Workshop's store, they mention, like, if you look in the terms and services on purchasing and price calculation, they mention that any country that has, like, a built-in cost, well, like, a built-in tax, like New Zealand, Australia, that Eurozone with, like, via, uh, via value-added taxes, things like that, those are automatically figured into the store price. You don't – they don't calculate it additionally in the cart. They just, like, the price you see listed is what the, is the price you're paying, because the taxes have already been calculated in. And we know that's a 10% markup. So if I bring that, if I take 10% out of that $77, I get a, a price of $69.30. That's a difference now of only $17 Australian and 22 cents, a 33% markup, which is now much closer to the US price with sales tax, markup wise. So, Part of this is because Games Workshop is not an Australian company, Australians are going to pay 10% more on off the top because they have to, because of Australia is trying to encourage you to buy Australian. Now, and that's not the only reason, but that is one of the factors that goes into this. Um, uh, New Zealand, I don't have the same details on New Zealand, but New Zealand, their price is 90 New Zealand dollars, despite the fact the exchange rate, the exchange rate, for example, for US or for Australian dollars is $1.86 Australian per pound sterling. For New Zealand, it's $1.97 New Zealand dollar for per pound sterling. So yes, New Zealand does have an even higher markup of $63. So yes, New Zealand prices are noticeably higher. But also, there's some there's other things we we talked about shipping costs. So, what's the dif- distance between because everything other than books books are produced in China, and that's one of the reasons because of the slowdown in international shipping. It's one of the reasons why uh, the codexes for like Gene Steeler Colts and uh, uh, Custodes 
are not here yet and are delayed. It's not that the books haven't been printed. It's just they haven't probably arrived yet. So, so there's that. But for model kits, those are all produced in the UK at Nottingham. The distance, great circle wise. So as the crow flies, the distance between Nottingham and the Memphis and Memphis, Tennessee, which is the uh, U.S. distribution point, that is four thousand two hundred eighty-three miles. It costs money to ship things, you know, over four thousand miles. The now, fortunately, we also know where the uh, warehouse for uh, Games Workshop in Australia is, thanks to a post made on Warhammer Community on August 3rd, 2021, uh, regarding that because they were going back into lockdown, the warehouse was going to be closed temporarily. And they mentioned the warehouse is located in Ingleburn, which is near Sydney, which is New South Wales, Australia. So what's the distance between Ingleburn and Nottingham? Care to guess? Six miles. A little bit higher than that. (laughs) Damn. Sorry. Well, you know what? I, I'm doing prices right rules. I wanted to make sure I didn't go over. <laughs> it's 16,952 kilometers, which in miles is like it, 8,000 freedom units. Yeah, 10,533 miles. So they have to ship it two and a half times as far. So obviously, the cost of shipping things is not just a static fixed cost. It's going to differ by how far you have to ship it and how many other things are going to be shipped on that same boat. There's a lot of factors involved there. But obviously, that's one reason why costs to ship things to Australia is going to be higher because, yeah, shipping things to an island is is not cheap. Ask anyone in Hawaii how much things there cost because it all has to be shipped in. Now, for New Zealand costs, there's an extra cost because New Zealand's warehouse is in Ingleburn, Australia. <laughs> so then you have to ship things another 2,200 kilometers to uh, to get it to New Zealand. So there's an additional set of costs. And despite what you may think, Australian and New Zealand are not the same country. So there's probably other fees and import, you know, customs fees and things like that that have to be observed too. Now, I don't know if they have some sort of like Anzac-style... Uh, you know, like commerce zone, the way like we've got the Eurozone where maybe they have like really, you know, relaxed custom costs between the two, but they're not the same country. So there may be different costs there that we're not aware of. But so it's like, there's so many factors, but if you figure, if you look at the taxes that have to be applied to Games Workshop products, it's like the cost kind of makes sense. Like, it's it does suck. It does suck. But there's a lot of costs that you're having to absorb on behalf of Games Workshop to make it profitable for them to ship this stuff all the way around the world. Plus, going back to the, the uh, minimum wage thing, the cost of the warehouse staff is probably higher in Australia than it is in the United States because I imagine Australian <laughs> warehouse workers actually get paid decently. I don't know what they pay the the workers in the Memphis warehouse, but I can guarantee I, I I'm sure it's not yeah you know, it's probably above minimum wage, but I don't know if it's as high as like Aust- Australian minimum wage would be by comparison. I mean, at least they don't work at an Amazon warehouse. Then I'd fear for their lives. But there was one other thing that Andrew mentioned that made me go down even further. So Poland 
is not a Eurozone member. Poland's prices are not in euros. Poland's prices is in the Poland Zloty. Now, the Zloty has an exchange rate of 5, 5.46 Zloty per pound sterling as of recording this morning. Now, that same Primaris bike ch- chaplain who costs 28 pounds in the UK, $45 US, $77 Australian, $90 New Zealand, costs 140 zloty. Converted price, if you converted stri- directly from pound sterling to zloty, is 152.88 zloty. The web store price is lower than the converted price by 8.42%. And what's interesting is look. I I put together prices for four uh, for three other products. I looked at the intercessors box that uh, Bill had mentioned in his original letter, and what we're seeing is pretty consistent. We see about a twenty in this case an almost thirty percent markup for the U.S., a fifty percent markup for Australia, a sixty-seven percent markup for New Zealand, a negative eight point four two percent markup for Poland. Premier's bike chaplain, we see the same thing, including the exact same markdown percent for Poland. Shadow Throne, the exact same Polish, it's negative 8.42%, exactly, for that, for the Black Templar's combat patrol box. Like, there, and also on the Polish site, they do mention that Games Workshop will pay all imports and custom fees. So it's very possible that the import and custom fees are exactly 8.42% to make the price compatible. But it's weird that that is the exact same percentage every time when we don't see that exact percentage on any of the other products as far as the markups. So what you're saying is everybody should buy from Polish web stores? possibly because but like if you're buying (laughs) if you're buying a from a polish web store you are paying well under u.s prices and you're potentially paying if they're getting these at some sort of wholesale price you're paying less than the uk price which is what most of these calculations have considered the baselines like they're a uk product the uk price should be the price the polish price is lower in every case even and so and yes, like why can I buy from a Polish eBay store and and, and even with all the other like taxes and, and shipping and everything be cheaper? Well, let's see. The Polish store is paying less than anybody else is. The shipping, they're not shipping you pallets and pallets of this stuff. They're gonna ship you one of these via airmail, which will be probably more expensive per item, but way cheaper. From a scale, you know, it, uh, on a scale of one, one product, and they, and you're the one covering the cost of the extra taxes. They don't have to. eBay's making you cover that portion, but there's so many things that they can cut the costs on that the Australian, like if you buy from the Australian store, Games Workshop has to do deal with all that stuff up front. So while yes, it sucks that the prices for Australian and New Zealand products. And I'm assuming Japan probably uses the Australian uh, warehouse as well, because that would be the closest regional warehouse, which would explain why their costs are higher. It's like, yes, it makes sense. And it's it sucks that these prices are higher, but 
I can't argue with the math that says, yeah, they kind of should be based on all these other costs and factors involved. Um, but yeah, Poland gets the lowest prices that I've seen so far. I haven't gone through every non-Eurozone country, <laughs> but there, there's definitely like it's it's so it it like when I figured when I saw this and I'm like, oh, okay, so what's the Polish price? And then I saw that like I had that little like you know Tim and Eric mind you know mind blowing animation in my mind, just like <laughs> whoa. So that's you want to know why you can buy it cheaper from Poland. That's why. Negative 8.42%. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that uh, I I think that's a that's a really good breakdown. Um and that's like that stuff that like if I had if I had had the time to do it that's exactly probably how I would have tried to break it down as well. Um so I that you know that's really good breakdown I think. Um it just underlies the layered complexity of all of this. You have to consider all the economic factors and all of the individual company countries that you're discussing, the distance, you know, cost to manufacture, cost to ship, like it, it's complicated. And like, as we have a, you know, in general, just a more globalized economy, you're going to find areas where like you can get something slightly cheaper, you know, going through this loophole, but eventually those are, those will get closed. Those will get resolved. And like, I don't know. It's, you can always find deals if you're willing to go through and do like the extra work and stuff for it. But I, I think you under, you know, as you kind of said, like it's, it shows that like while it sucks and GW's prices are too high across the board, it's in line, which sucks, but you know, <laughs> well, and this doesn't even get into, you know, another aspect of the, the minimum wage discussion. It doesn't even get into the arguments of pricing based on locality and cost of living and like what percentage of your cost of living is one of these purchases because me living here in, in the Midwest, my cost of living if I'm like if I'm making this let's say I made the same exact amount of money that I do here on like the west coast I couldn't afford this hobby because my cost of living would be so much higher mhm which is also the flip side is why people on the west coast people who get jobs on the west coast but can work remotely and then move to the Midwest, which is half, something that we're seeing a lot of moving to like Midwest or other rur- you know, more rural areas than that, even where their cost of living is a fraction of what they have, you know, in on the West Coast or the East Coast, but they're making East Coast, West Coast money because of the pay is higher there as well. Suddenly have much more buying power, which has been reflected in the weirdness in our housing market out here. It's like, there's so many factors that are involved. Somebody on the West Coast might barely be able to afford this hobby unless they are making proportionally more based on that cost of living increase. You're, you're, yeah, so it's like, God, there's so much involved. And then, again, the mishmash, uh, mishmash of regional taxes we have here in the United States, state sales tax, local sta- sales taxes on top of that, like – Whereas Australia has a 10% tax to deal with. It's worked into the Games Workshop can just work it into the price that they show on the website because they know that's how much the tax is going to be versus here in the United States. Like I said, these U.S. prices that I list are not the actual U.S. prices we pay because everybody's going to have a different sales tax rate. 
And if you figure those sales taxes into it, even though they aren't like a U.S. price change, they only apply really in the U.S., And but it's not a customs tax. So Games Workshop, they have to collect it to pass along to state and local governments. So they don't really have any control over it. They can't put it in the price that you see on the website first. So we don't – none of us – like – we say we're yeah, I'm gonna buy a Premier Spike Chaplain for forty five bucks, but that's not what I'm paying. I mean that's I remember trying to teach my kids like when they see prices in the store and when you buy something, yeah, you actually you can't just say like, well, I have three dollars and that costs three dollars so I can buy it. It's like, no, you actually have to have like three fifty. Why? Because there's other costs that you have to pay, but they don't show that. No, they don't. Congratulations, welcome to our system. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, at the same time, a value-added tax can be like applied across the top of the board. Could be a bit of a regressive taxing in this country because we're it's oh. weird. Yeah, let's, let's tax. Yeah, yeah. We could have an we can have a multiple hour long discussion about tax policy if you want. But we would I re- no no our, our listenership. So. <laughs> yeah. So, no. No, I don't want that. But so I think. So I think it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But I just wanted to bring you all on the financial calculation rabbit hole that I fell into. So, Andrew, I I hope we kind of I hope this clarified where like kind of where we were going and explaining why it's why you can pay so so differently on eBay versus your local GW store in Australia. And but thank you for this information because it was like the last couple of pieces of the puzzle. And I really did feel like Charlie Day in that episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the Pepe Silvia like board, the, the, the conspiracy string board. So my question is, is this what I sound like when I start talking about finance? <laughs> I'm not going to say no. No, no. no comment. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fine. All right. That's, that's good to know. We heart you, Kevin. <laughs> All right, so so those those are the two bits of of commentary and criticism we received, and so let's let's move on to a couple of letters. Um, we're not we are not going to have time to get to list reviews on this episode. We do have to cut it a bit short because of scheduling. So I know there's, we promised a couple of list reviews. Uh, we will get there eventually, but it won't be this episode. So I apologize. Uh, but uh, moving on. Uh, so we have a letter from Dennis Thomas and Dennis writes, Hey gang, new year, new army, and it's getting late in the year. So I'm already planning my next project. I had a break from the last one and a half years from the hobby, but I want to get back in with next year. I want to build a Tau army for my next project, but I neither have any idea about them, nor have I ever played against them. All I know is that they are not very good at the moment. They will get a new codex next year, or so I heard. But could you give me a good idea for a starting army to buy or wish for Christmas? Just what you guys think would make a good base to build upon, especially since I haven't played a single game of the new edition. I don't exactly know what is a good start at the moment. Thanks a lot, and keep up the great work ah this is really going to be tough to say with uh without knowing more about what's in the new codex um i will say uh there have been like tau's actually been starting to do some interesting things 
in preparation for the new codex, like uh, as far as games being played. Um, most armies I have seen doing well have been uh, Farsight Enclaves, which uh, is plays very aggressively, uh, tends to use uh, Breachers and Devilfish. Um, let's see. I Because I know they recently, like looking at the competitive innovations, there were some recent builds well so the so the one thing i'll say with tau is like even when tau were really good your your armies were still mostly based around because there's only really two three technically troop choices but really two troop choices you've got fire warriors and breacher teams and you know and then you're going to want like battle suits and tanks and stuff the this will get updated, obviously, once they, you know, to a to a combat patrol box once the codex comes out. But the start collecting Tau Empire box is ninety five dollars US on the GW store right now. It it contains uh, an ethere- an ethereal, a unit of fire warriors, three um, uh, three crisis suits, and all of the accompanying drones. Um, that is a solid start. And you will use everything in that box because ethereals are good HQs. You may also eventually want to have like a fire, you know, a uh, 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 the was it fire cadre commander? Uh, the or cadre the regular, fire blade. you know, cadre fire blade. I was trying to remember what it was. It's like, gosh, what's the name of it? You might want a fire blade or a, a suit commander for your other one, but you probably will, you know, depending on how this changes, you're still probably going to want at least one ethereal. Um, because of the buffs they provide, you're gonna need fire warriors. Like you cannot build a towel list without fire warriors. You you just will not be able to. Um, and then having you know suits and drones is always good. Now the specific loadouts and layouts for like what drones to take, what weapons to give, that's all up for you know when the codex comes out. But picking up that start collecting box, and we talked about this you know in the past with, when we talked about all the start collecting boxes. This is a good box. You're going to get stuff that you'll be able to use. Um, so, I, you know, I, that's a place that I would definitely recommend starting. You're going to get a little bit of a discount because those um, the, the Ethereal by himself is available and he's like 35 bucks. The three-man Crisis Suit team is like $60 and the Fire Warrior box is like 40 to $50. So you're getting a pretty good price break for that getting that box at $95. Yeah. So, okay, so here's a list. This was from the December 8th uh, article on Goonhammer Competitive Innovations in 9th December Duels. And they had a couple of lists of the week. And one of them uh, was, this was from the UKTC Leicester GT. Now, this Tau, Tau Army took 17th place, which doesn't seem that high, but... It's a Tau list. It got all the way to round five undefeated, only losing to the eventual champion. So that's pretty good. It's that this Tau list did that well. And it is, um, it has commander. It, it's a Farsight Enclaves. So like I said, Farsight Enclaves is really good right now. Um, commander Farsight, a commander in a Cold Star battle suit with uh, heavy missile, like three missile pods, um, four five-man uh, breacher squads. Uh, two of them have an extra gun drone. A Riptide, uh, two units of stealth battle suits, a full like nine man unit of crisis bodyguards, a unit of pathfinders, 
a couple of devil fish, and then the one thing that does kind of throw out is a uh, Forge World pair of uh, Remora drones, which they can only have two Remora drones because they're considered flyers now. So the balance the balance data slate has hit them a bit, but that's that's an army that did well in this current edition. But that also leans on the current use of Montka, which is like a one turn you can move and fire without penalty thing, which is going to be very different in the next codex. But um, breachers, stealth suits, crisis suits, uh, and yeah, the fire warriors, you know, can the fire warrior kit can make breachers easily. So I mean. With like you did, if you ditched the ethereal and got a commander suit and a farsight, like you would be well on your way, and like got two of the starting boxes, like the the tau starting boxes, you'd be well on your way. Uh, now we don't know what the combat patrol is going to look like when uh, tau get updated, but uh, but yeah, right now as as of this moment, breachers, crisis suits, cri- uh, commander suits. Uh, Pathfinders, Devilfish is pretty solid. And then um, I've seen lists that use the Riptide. I've seen use the lists that use Ghost Keels. Um, in fact, uh, there was the uh, article from this week mentioned uh, at the Badger, yeah, Badger Bash GT. Where did I see that one? Yeah, let's scroll down. Yeah, ba- or Badger Brawl GT. Uh, Paul McKelvey took fifth with Tau and they don't have the full list listed, but he was, he had a four and one finish fire suit enclaves again with a couple of ghost keels backing up crisis suits, a souped up riptide and a bunch of devil fish. So that's the build right now. That's really solid is devil fish, uh, breachers, ghost keel, uh, crisis suits, a riptide, uh, playing farsight enclaves, which also makes your crisis suits even better. Um, that's the build that's built that or a variation on it is the build that's really solid right now that will likely change in a month. So I wouldn't uh, other than like breachers are generally going to be good. Crisis suits are generally going to be good It in this new edition in this new codex, most likely because they are kind of iconic to the army. So I definitely can see games workshop wanting to lean into them and make them better. Um, but I would hold off on plotting any actual purchases until that codex comes out, other than maybe buying one or two of the start collecting boxes, because those are going to go away once the new codex comes out. Yep. Yeah. And that, and since every model in that start collecting box is like a, a new model, like it's new kit, from the last time that Tau got an update, like those, those models are all available separately, but they're all kind of expensive. Like this is one of the, this is one of the start collecting boxes that provides like the best cash deal um, and biggest discount. So it's all stuff that you're going to use regardless because there will be a version of crisis suits that are good. There will be a version of fire warriors or breachers that is good. Um, So, I, I, that's what I would recommend starting if you want to pick stuff up now. And then once the codex comes out, hopefully there will be enough options that you can kind of pick and choose where you want to build the list from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
those will give you all useful pieces and it'll be like i'm curious to see how ethereals are like what are they going to do with ethereals in that book what are they going to do like are they going to change up how breachers work to make them a little bit more like kind of make the weapons a little bit easier to manage we know like damage is going to go up range is going to go up across the board for tau so yeah it's we're it i i hate i would hate to tell you to buy stuff based on current performance when we know what's going to be good in the codex could wildly change in a month if we were like a year out from the codex i could tell you i just you know if you want a competitive list kind of follow you know follow the the meta in that regard but we'll have to see what what happens in a month but uh but yeah so yeah just Pick up a start collecting box just to get those things at a cheaper cost. Um, maybe buy two because that'll still be only slightly more expensive than a than a combat patrol. And then wait to see what the codex brings next month. And that's probably the best plan for this. All right. And then our final letter from Elliot Sh- Shiotani. Elliot writes... Hello, preferred enemies. I've been listening to the show since the start of 9th edition and very much enjoy all of your content. Thank you, Elliot. In that time, I've somewhat been able to figure out what armies y'all play. I know none of you play guard yet. Looking at you, Kevin. You've already got, you've started down that path, admit it. I know, I know I've started down that path. (laughs) I was wondering if you could just do a quick rundown of what, which armies each of you own or play and how about how big those armies are. Thanks and keep up the good work. Well, I volunteer to fall on that uh, hand grenade first. Because <laughs> I turn around and I look at the the 24 or 25 uh, care cases I have on my, on my shelves. Um, now, some of those... Uh, one 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 set of three of those is uh, Daughters of Cain for Age of Sigmar, and so those aren't playable in 40k in any way, shape, or form. But, um, so I will run down real quick what I own and or play. So first off, I'm going to start with my Tau. Uh, Tau is the army I've been playing since I got back into 40k uh, back at the end of 4th, mid, mid to end of 4th edition. Um, I have a lot of Tau, although not like I have like only about 30 or 40 fire warriors, but I've got, you know, I've got a number of crisis suits. I have, um, outs, I, I have two riptides and then I also have the riptide that's in the eighth. I have, um, like I have numerous hammerheads. I have sky ray. I have like, I could easily field like five or six thousand points of actually more than that probably of tau um because not only do i have like i have an ivara suit i have like multiple like i have a couple of fire blades i have a couple of ethereals i have i've had both versions of shadow sun that they've released i have farsight and i as i said i have the the entire the eight um like Lord of War choice. I also have a town R, which itself is like 1200 points. Um, that is the biggest model I own and have built and painted. Um, so I have 
I have a ton of Tau, and that doesn't include like the two other sets of sprues of Fire Warriors that I have yet to build to make into uh, breed because I'm going to make into breachers because breachers is like one of the things I don't have because up until this edition they were okay, not great. Um, I have I have the the Pathfinder team from Chalnath that I haven't put together yet with all the new additions. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got a lot of Tau. Um, so that Tau is my, is my oldest army. It's the one I haven't played. Like it was the last one I was, well, I think sisters were still the last one as was playing competitively, but man, I had a ton of fun playing my Tau town, our army. Um, so that, that's, that's been my first, that's my first and probably biggest army. Um, I've played, I have death guard. Um, I have Mortarian. and I have a bunch of, Plague Marines. I've been kind of building that one in that. I don't know if that's my second biggest army, but that's the other one I've played. That's the one I've played. One of the ones I've played most recently. Um, I also have Emperor's Children, which is kind of the uh, that's the other chaos army that I've been working on off and on over the years. And eventually they'll have a solid rule set. I'm looking forward to like giving them another go when the, uh, Chaos Space Marine get their actual updated codex, so that next army box is going to be real tempting if there's good stuff in there. And I still have a bunch of stuff from like the Shadow Spear box and things to build for them. Um, uh, I have along with that, I have a number of Slanesh Chaos Demons, which I still need to finish like painting. I have a fully painted um, Nurgle Demon army that is just enough to field about 2000 points in age of Sigmar. So that that's one that I, I originally got to go with my death guard, but I'm also kind of more leaning on it to be just an extra, an army I can just throw down and play real quick in, uh, age of Sigmar. Um, I have, I used to have black Templars. I have since gotten rid of all of those as part of our, one of the raffle armies we go away, but I then replaced them with, Blood Angels, which are almost all built, but not yet painted. Um, I need to get on that. I've, I need Basically, I need to prime and then just like start putting down red paint on them. And let's see. Imperial Knights. I have like five or six Imperial Knights and then a couple of Armagers I need to build. I have... And then Sisters of Battle. Um, I lucked into an amazing deal on Metal Sisters years ago. And so I got to actually play Sisters of Battle. And then when the new codex started coming out, like I had had a chance to get to play with those rules and was very happy with them. But I was even playing them before that codex came out. And then I have recently bought a bunch of the plastic models, both of like existing models that I'm replacing and some of the newer stuff. Um, that is, that is, my sisters are probably my second biggest army by model count now. Also my heaviest army because it is all metal still. Um, and I think that covers everything. Like I have a handful of Mechanicus stuff that I've, that I've acquired as part of other things and I have never built or painted and I'm kind of in no hurry to. But I, so I don't count that as really being an army I own or paint because I didn't like go out and buy Mechanicus kits. It was just I 
bought kits that had other things and it also included Mechanicus or we got, we had leftover models from other projects we did for charity. So it's like, I don't count that as an army I own, but I, but if I didn't say the siren song was there tempting me to put them together and field them, I'd be lying because I have a problem, but so yeah. So Tau, Tau sisters, death guard, Empress children, Two varieties of Chaos Demons. I do have a Bellicor that I have yet to build and paint for myself. And uh, and Blood, Blood Angels. And that pretty... Oh, and Imperial Knights. And that that's everything for me. Speaking of having a problem. Um, <laughs> so I have a... I actually probably have a smaller Tau army than you do at this point. Although I think for a very long time, I think we were kind of neck and neck. But yeah, I haven't picked up anything from like the last couple of waves. Like I don't own a Ghost Keel. I don't have a Storm Surge. Um, I have two of like that. So like I haven't picked it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't picked those up. But I also have, you know, the Town R, which is the largest model that you've built and painted for me. Um, <laughs> uh, and I have, you know, I, I have probably a good all total of that. I would estimate probably somewhere around 6,000 points of it painted. Um, and then, okay, so that, you know, which means uh, I could feel other... way, I could field way more <laughs> Tau than I thought. Yeah. Then. My calculation is off. Right. Yeah. So, and then I could be wrong. Like I have not sat down and actually calculated it. Like I know I have more fire warriors and more um, pathfinders, stuff like that painted than you do. And I also have a, boatload of crisis suits because i i got on the magnet train with crisis suits very early so i have a lot of like you know unpainted crisis suits that like have magnetized arms that i can just kit out any way i want so um i have a lot of towel like i i have a lot of towel um the next biggest army i have is my various flavors of chaos um i have a fully painted, probably, uh, it's a little bit hard to tell because Nurgle is very expensive, but like probably 4,000 points of Death Guard at least. Um, I have way more painted World Eaters than I need. Um, I have about 2,000 points of unpainted Thousand Suns, uh, or partially painted because like Magnus is painted, but none of the other like actual guys are painted. Um, I have probably about 4,000 points of sisters that are mostly unpainted. Um, I have, oh gosh, a boatload of Necrons. Like, uh, because I got, I, I lucked into a deal with Dustin when he was getting out of the hobby to get about three or 4,000 points of his Necrons. And then I've bought like a lot of the new stuff that's come out this edition. Um, none of that I consider painted because even the stuff that's painted is going to get repainted. Um, but, uh, I have a lot of that that's unpainted. And then I have my, like, death, my, my death watch project, which has spiraled out of control. Um, it started off from like, oh, I want to just play death watch because I like the cool models and stuff. And then it's basically devolved into every time they release a space Marine character, I'm going to buy it and convert it to death watch. So, um, I have a lot. I have way more Death Watch than I will ever need. Uh, but a lot of it's not painted yet. Um, but it is like I keep adding to it when like, oh, look, High Marshal Hulbert came out. That's cool. I can convert him into a um, a Watchmaster. Uh, so I, I do have a problem. 
Um, I also have I also have a custodes army uh, that's fully painted. I have a Sisters of Silence army that's fully painted. Well, I mean, fully painted. It's like three units. Um, I also have a bunch of Death Corps Krieg that I have not started assembling yet. You knew what you knew what you were doing. Don't don't. Yeah, you I don't know. get to no. Pretend. I know what I was doing. I know. No, I know. I just I don't like talking about all of it because once I start talking about it, I get depressed of all the money I've spent that I haven't like the all the half projects I've started. Um, I also have a bunch of Imperial Knights. I also have a bunch of Chaos Knights. So, yeah, I, I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is that it, Kevin? You sure there's not another one hiding? That's all I want to admit to right now. That's all I want to admit to right now. So so Um, new year, new army, you're going to start Eldar next year? (laughs) No. No, new year, new army is guard. Oh, that's right. Uh, Yeah, actually. Well, yeah. Or painting my sisters, which I actually have a paint scheme for my sisters. I just need to start doing it. Fair. (laughs) Okay, I guess it's it's time for me owning up to my armies. Um, Yep. Mm -hmm. My largest one is Eldar, not a surprise. That's one which I think I have every model in the Codex and some Forge World, not a lot of Forge World. Um, and I, I went through and I've got about 11 care cases of, of Eldar. Because <laughs> that's how I was going. How big is it? It's, well, let's see, how many KRs is it? Um, but I've been playing that from... I guess whenever I got back into the game, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago? Wow. Um, I, I blame myself. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were one of the king or ringleaders that got me in. Um, second biggest is probably Slanesh, which is also the second army I built. Um, and I remember at the time I was going to build a thousand points of Slanesh and that was going to be it. It was going to be my alt army and I'd mostly play Eldar and have Slanesh there to be something different. And now it is the second largest army I have coming in at about six KR cases. I mean, it does, it also, they have a lot of large models, but also a lot of tiny models with what, 70 some odd demonettes and a few keepers of secrets and a couple chariots. And yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I, though I still have to put together and paint more of the, um, fiends. Um, that's one of the projects I have to do next time I break out the army to play. Third, I guess my other ones are kind of all about the same. So, oh, yeah, Slanesh was about, I say, it's about six KRs. Um, Something like then, that. Yeah. My next grouping of them would probably be um, Dark Eldar and Space Wolves. Um, Dark Eldar, I got into after Slanesh, and that was because of Ard Boys. If you guys remember Ard Boys tournaments. Oh, yeah, I remember. You remember you yeah. did very well. Well, at the time, I, well, I did very for, well because for, Dark for Eldar the, was for, broken. Compared to the rest of us. <laughs> well, yeah, because Dark Eldar was broken, so that's why it's like, hey, this is the perfect opportunity. You can play a broken army, uh, and you don't have to paint them because Ard Boys, that's one of the rules. You don't have to have painted models. And so, yes. Uh, things, look how far we've come as a hobby. <laughs> Drakari, look how still far the game has come in the last 12 years. <laughs> hey, to be fair, Drakari spent, the, before the newest codex, Drakari spent quite a while in the wilderness. Even yeah, after no, the, the, that their new codex. 
like but their, yeah, their for, first redone codex. Yeah, for Dukari, I've got a bunch of Ravagers and Raiders, um, both the Flyers, Void Raven Bomber. I still like. Um, I put a heavy emphasis on Witch Cults as my number one focus, and I've got both Lilis, the new and the old. The old one Richard painted for me, so I really still like it, and kind of want to use still use it over the new one. But we'll, we'll, I might we'll see what happens when I go back to bringing them to the table. Um, Cabals, I've got a smattering of the Cabal stuff, mostly to support the witches and homunculi covens. Not much at all, because that's where I had like a lot of the least interest, because I was more interested in the fast, um, fragile units rather than the tough and units that'll stay on the board, which are now the very good ones. Oh. <laughs> so and I already knew that that was a, a hole in my my Dark Eldar group, but they're still fun to play with the fastest, but I have probably not touched them in a couple of years on an actual tournament. Um, and then I said Space Wolves, which is a large thing because our other former host, John, was a Space Wolves player. And at the time, I thought, yeah, if I ever got into Imperium, I'd, I don't like any of the other factions. I'd want to play Space Wolves. So when he kind of got out of the hobby, left the podcast, I um, inherited his Space Wolves. Um, well, bought them off him, but yeah. Um, and then I added to it and then kept adding to it because the Space Wolves are very cool in my mind. Um, I even think there was one podcast I remember when – I think it was over the holidays a few years ago when they had a sale and I bought Arjack Rockfist and all of his guard while we were doing the podcast because I was like, yeah, look, more like Space Wolf Terminators, yeah. Um, but once again, they don't get as much table time as I would like – um, because every time they get a new codex, they get an update, then another book comes out within a month or two. And that kind of takes some of the wind out of those sales. Cause I think I'm kind of like Kevin, I have a lot of them still to paint. I've got a ton of it primed and I was going to convert a lot of those things to Primaris. I wrote, brought out my thing of here's each unit. Here's what the figures that are in that unit. And so I could probably just make a painting project to go through and do it all. Um, that's just a lot of time and painting is my weakest part of the hobby. So I, I, I keep on putting that to the back burner. And so that that's unfortunately where the space wolves have kind of landed. Um, let's see, after that, we'll go with Harlequins, which I still have some of the old, old Harlequins. Cause at the time they were part of both the Eldar and the dark Eldar armies. And then they got their own book and it was really cool. Um, and I've got the majority of all the Harlequin models in duplicates and whatnot, because there's not that many of them. Um, I've only fielded them a couple of times because it took me forever to get a paint scheme on them because I did not want to do all of the checkers. Um, so I just went with like a quarter pattern where it's black and white and it's a quarter pattern. Um, and that's worked out well for me, but still it's... I have enough painted that I use on the board, but I still have more that I would need to paint if I want to change up the list, which if I played it on a tournament, I would want to change up the list. So there's definitely more work to be done there, but it's, it's a group that has a lot of fun. I just, I'm, I'm bemoaning too many armies that I think other people here have. Um, the, I guess next one on the list would be, um, 
Yanari, I'll toss them out there. Um, they take up like. Do not they even really a box. count as their own army because <laughs> you just make them out of all the other pieces of the your I other know. armies other than three but, models? I know. That's why I thought about it. But I'm like, yeah, I should say them, but because they are technically a different army, even though it's three models. Um, but on that account, I will not count my. Um, Emperor's Children or my Chaos Knights as an army, because even though I have them, it's not even a thousand points of patrol. Well, it might be a thousand points of patrol, but they're the ones I've got to flush out my Slanesh, and I just count them as Slanesh that I don't really use, but if I ever did go into Imperial or Renegade Knights or Chaos Space Marines, I at least have those two available. I'm not counting them, but you guys might. Um... (laughs) Um, then I'll go to the death watch that Kevin said. Um, I got into them because they were cool models. I, and I only had space wolves and this would be my army that played more like a space Marine army than space wolves do. Cause at the time space wolves played very different from a normal space Marine army. Um, I mean, they still kind of do, but they're, they're the army that's got the least play. I've played them probably more in kill team than I've played them in actual, um, 40 K games. And I, it's just, hmm, I want to really like them because the models are cool, but just on the board, they fell down and thus f- kind of fallen flat. And I, one of the, re- the reasons I like them is they were easy to paint. It's all black with just trim. <laughs> um, let's see. Eldar, Slanesh, Space Wolves, Harlequins. Um, and then now we get to the newer armies that I've started up recently, which would be Custodes and Sisters. And I'll say Sisters of Battle, because Sisters of Silence, I'm lumping in with Custodes. Um, Custodes is, well, not that many models, but it's still a few. I've got them in, like, three care cases, because, well, one of those is... Actually, it's not a care case. It's an imaginary care case for the Orion, because it doesn't fit in one. Um, which I did use in a tournament, um yes you did it didn't do much (laughs) but he did use it yeah yeah well it's a cool model i wanted to yeah it is a very cool like all of their models are really cool that is true that is very true and custodes are fun to play so i've got a bunch of them not all and i just recently picked up extra jet bikes because i only owned three now i've got a full complement of nine uh well after i get the other six put together um in anticipation of the new codex and so we'll see what comes out with that um i do have each of the sisters of silence um troop choice or the i'll say troops but each of the variants of them i've got i think 10 models of each and then i've got the named character that came with the um the yeah i'm just blanking the custode sister silence the named character yeah 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 i've got them and then also the new Sisters of Silence character from 30K, who I'll probably just convert to you, make her the HQ choice. Um, and then as people have heard on this podcast throughout this year, Sisters of Battle were my new year, new army for this year. And I've mostly got all the new figures, and I don't really have a lot of the older ones. As someone else pointed out, like, you just have all the new ones. I'm like, yeah, the, the new ones are cool looking. I wanted to use them. So I think, yeah, because there's so much Sisters of Battle I don't have, but I've got what I like to play. And so I think I'll probably stop, air quote, stop here. Uh, 
we'll see what else they come out with on on Sisters of Battle. Um, and then I don't count this as an army yet, but if if Kevin's tossing in their Death Corps of Krieg, Krieg, sorry, um, Imperial Knights. I actually have all the boxes to make an Imperial Knight army. So in my mind, that's going to be my new year, new army for 2022. And with the hope that they will get a codex sometime. And part of me wants to wait to see what they come out with before I put these ones together. But in theory, I can magnum mod it to have all the weapon options mm-hmm. and then it shouldn't be a problem anyway. And I think that is it for my long list of, of stuff. Which leaves me. I'll, I'll start with uh, the orcs. It's where I got into the hobby. Um, I have so many orcs. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little green tide, as it yes. should be, though, right? I mean, yes. Um, I probably have two hundred-ish boys at this point. Um, I have. I know at least one of everything in the codex. Um, it's probably, I mean, if I had to hazard a guess, I'd probably say about 12,000 points. Yeah. You have a lot of big things in that army. So, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, most of it's still not painted. <laughs> um, I, from there, I got into Tyranids, because, um, yeah, that's what I needed. Another Horde army. <laughs> I'm uh, sensing at, a pattern here. At, at which point I, I again, have pretty much one of everything, and at least one of everything in the Codex. Um, I probably only have about 9,000 points, I would estimate, of, of Tyranids. Um, and then from there was the next army that I got into was Grey Knights. Um, I probably have about 4,000 points of Grey Knights. Uh, most everything in the Codex there I, I own. Um, save for some of the flyers. I don't really have many of the Space Marine flyers. Um, I've got... After that, uh, I think the next thing I got into was Death Guard, which yeah, I probably only have about about three or four thousand points of Death Guard. Um, I've got Necrons. I probably have probably about four or five thousand points of Necrons, and. I've got, like, three Imperial Knights, only one, like, put together. The other two are in the box, still waiting to be put together. And I've got, like, a couple of Armagers. I've got uh, a bunch of Death Watch, uh, probably about 2,000 points of Death Watch. Uh, Does that make me the only person who doesn't actually have any Death Watch among us? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> yeah. Gene Steeler Colts. Um, I've got 
probably about four thousand points of of Gene Steeler Colts. I've got uh, a little bit of a smattering of of Ultramarines. That's probably only about two thousand points or so of them. And so, Richard, how many of those Ultramarines are lieutenants? Oh, <laughs> uh, actually, not 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 very many. I think I only have, and actually, I haven't really bought any just Primaris lieutenants. I, I've kind of only like converted extra models that I had into into lieutenants. I think I bought I think I bought one Primaris lieutenant, uh, and then I. I I want to say, and I mean, along with that, uh, Ultramarines, I also have like a smattering of, of kind of Imperial soup stuff that like includes the, the assassins and like, I have every inquisitor model and the weaponsmiths and, and yes, the, the weaponsmiths and, and death cult assassins and crusaders so i kind of have like a like a little bitty like inquisition army i think that pretty much is it i like i much like rob i i have like a handful of of mechanicus stuff that i've never really put together but i have it um it's you know probably enough to put together a couple of kill teams worth of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's about where I'm at too. And then from a number of, of models from the raging heroes line of manufacturer, I've gotten, I've got some uh, toughest girls in the galaxy that are kind of a, a little, you know, guard, you know, proxy army that I've never really played or even finished putting together and then also have, you know, their equivalent of like sisters of battle that is that I've never put together, but I have those as well. I think that's so. Yeah. So Elliot, I think that gives you and all our other listeners kind of a snapshot into the massive army collection issues we all have. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) none of us know quite when to stop, but, uh, they they just stop anytime I want. Yeah, you just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't ever choose to. <laughs> <laughs> and also, this doesn't even mention all the times that, like, especially like you and I, Kevin, have traded models back and forth because, like, you have your corn. Like, you got into to World Eaters because of me selling you my World Eaters army. Right. And then one of the reasons I have two Storm Surges is because I bought one from you when you were purging stuff before your move. Right, yeah, like I, I think it was, I think I talked about it on the podcast about a year and a half ago, whatever. I was cleaning stuff in preparation for potentially moving and found like, oh, look, there's a whole bunch of like boxes of just unopened stuff. Well, this is all going on eBay. <laughs> so, yeah, going yeah, the, through that the, right now. I'm also trying to clean stuff up again for move, and I'm like, uh, I need to do something with this. Or, or the the time I randomly picked up a, like a box of like random Imperial Guard stuff, thinking, "Yep, yeah, I'm gonna. This is the day. This is the time. I'm gonna finally. I'm gonna finally bite the bullet and uh, 
do a guard army. And then once I got the stuff, I looked at it. I'm like, nah, I don't want to insult someone else. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, nope, guard is not for me. Yep. Nope. So, so yeah, this this is the snapshot into. But this is also why when we were able to do uh, New Year's get-togethers, we could basically put together like different armies like we'd put together 16 different armies of like different factions and everybody would get Mm -hmm. to play different things and it was a lot of fun because we can and why we've been able to like do like when they came out with the new apoc rule set gonna pour one out for that because i love the newest version of apocalypse they did and they just kind of abandoned it but we've played a couple of games of Apocalypse, and we have the ar- armies large enough to field Apocalypse armies of multiple factions, and it was fun. And I, ha- I really enjoy. I enjoy being able to play these big games. I enjoy having a lot of stuff to pick and choose from, and build forces from. And I think we all do. Um, and uh, just it that's t- to the point where it's like now I'm trying to be more judicious and I'm like, I'm not going to add a lot of stuff to like, I have like the blood angels I have, that's what I've bought. And that's what I, and it's enough to pick and choose and build stuff from, but I'm not looking to add anything more to it. I'm not looking sisters is the last army I added stuff to. And that's catching up with the most pla- con- most recent plastic release. Oh, that Tau codex release is going to hurt me. I'm sure it's going to hurt me. It's gonna hurt my soul. I still have I have crisis suits. I have like newer crisis suits that I haven't built and painted yet. Well, um, Rob, I'll, I'll feel your pain there with the if the new Eldar line has all plastic aspect warriors. Oh, I, oh, I, I don't I weep for your wallet. <laughs> I don't need them because I have plenty. But I kind of, especially if they're new poses, and whatnot. I probably will want at least one box of each aspect warrior just so I have the yeah, variety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm not lo- like with my sisters. I'm not looking to replace all my like line like battle sister squads with plastics, but I'm going to seed a few of the plastic models in there, like because like there's one of the ones in the uh, the army box they did has a storm bolter, and I needed more storm bolter sisters, so I'll I'll mix her in with the other ones, and the scale won't be quite right. But otherwise, it's mostly just been adding the new stuff or. Re- like replacing a few of like the character models or things like that with, with plastics. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, I totally get the, like, I kind of want that updated look for some stuff and yeah, you're definitely going to be seeing that. And Hey, maybe we'll get to review if that there is a new box set between chaos and Eldar. Maybe we can review it and split it. You know, who knows? So, and then you'll know you'll want to buy like two more of them. So you know how it goes. But <laughs> now, what am I saying? This isn't assault on Black Reach box. Nobody's going to buy like three of these things. Ah, oh, assault on Black Reach. We miss you. That was the that was that was a that's the best best box they've ever released. Uh, but anyway, we are running short on time. So uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, we didn't get to probably as many things as as we might have wanted to. Like, like I said, with list reviews and things like that, we wouldn't get that in. But we just wanted to make sure that we hit the hit the mailbox. Um, if you want to get your letter read on the air, there are three good ways to do it. Um, first off, is email us. You can email us at uh, our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies dot com or our first names at preferred enemies dot com. All of those work. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook dot com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us. Uh, we post on like updates on when episodes are coming out, things we're working on, uh, news that 
you know, kind of hits interestingly. Um, so we're going to, you know, and we're, I've been a little bit slack on, on keeping up on Facebook lately. So I'm going to, going into 2022, I'm going to kind of tighten that back up. I did move and that's been kind of a disruption. So I'm going to try to get back on that. Third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take comments and criticisms and questions from all those sources, throw them in and get through as many of them as we can in every episode. Um, normally, this is where we would also put in our uh, plug for our Patreon. But it's the holidays. Um, put your money and your goodwill into your families and your community. We'll see you in the next year. We'll 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 pitch at you the, the next year. But it's the holiday season. Enjoy your time and enjoy putting money into charities and into your family and into that time of being together with with the people that you care about and the communities that you're in. Um, and uh, no morale phase because, uh, like I said, we're tight on time, but. Quick rundown. There is no lack of entertainment coming out like in the next like in the next like three weeks or like, let's see, Hawkeye's finishing up. Book of Boba Fett's hitting. Uh, New season of Witcher just dropped. Letter New season of Letterkenny drops uh, the day after Christmas. New season of Cobra Kai. I mean, these are I think most of these are shows that we have talked about in past uh, morale phases. Uh, There's a ton. Even Demon Slayer. New season of Demon Slayer has just started dropping. So there's plenty Hawkeye. of stuff to keep you entertained. What? Hawkeye. No Way Home. Oh, yeah. S- Witcher. Yeah. Spider-Man No Way new Home. New season of Witcher. Is- yes, new yeah. season of Witcher drops dro- dropped like a couple of days ago. So, yeah, there's there's so much entertainment to enjoy over the winter. So there will be no lack of things to keep your morale up and excited while you wait for, like, while you spend time with family, opening presents, enjoying your presents afterwards. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your holidays. From all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. 
KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. 